0: I think more times than not, we're coping instead of healing with this ancestral trauma that we carry, you know.
1: This is Sana Sana Podcast, a feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana. You just heard Jackie Caravis, co host of Ansal Doing It, a California based podcast featuring two best friends and queer Latinxes on a budget. And this episode's special guest
2: for our Corazon a Corazon segment. Today's episode includes a discussion on
1: addiction and recovery. We'll hope you'll follow along and share your thoughts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using our hashtag or handle, SanaSanaPodcast. <laughs>
2: And that's the dog's way of welcoming you to another episode of Sana Sana. (laughs) I'm Adriana.
1: And I'm Adriana. Welcome back. Hello, hello. It's been
2: a while. We've missed y'all.
1: And I've missed you because this is the first time we've been recording IRL in a while, in like a month.
2: Yeah.
1: It's been very busy. Yeah, holiday season.
2: But it's special to record today because it's my birthday. Happy and I
1: birthday! Love
2: being able to um, do what I love on my birthday. Yay! And this is something I definitely love. I love this podcast. I love you. I love our newfound community. So yeah, I'm really happy to be here. So um, we're doing an enmeshed. A uh, segment of Tokaya Time and Chiyona Corner, all in one.
1: So, how have you been? Oh my gosh.
2: So, I mean, a lot has gone down, and I feel like we've seen each other um, since we last recorded. But even then, like I think, um, both you and I work in nonprofit organizations, and. I don't know about you. I have a feeling I know about you Mm -hmm. around the holiday time, right? Right before everyone goes on holiday break. It is like one of the most stressful, most jam-packed times. It always has been in any nonprofit organization I've worked in where you're like trying to cram in everything before everybody goes on break because usually that's probably the last time you're going to be in the office.
1: Yes. Right. So, yes. and for fundraisers and for anyone that actually works in a nonprofit, it's the end of year, right? So it's that usually the end of year you're receiving more donations or hoping for them. So if you have a nonprofit organization or a cause that you really are passionate about, Hey, donate some money to them because it's really going to mean a lot to the cause and to the work that they do if they get some extra dollars before starting the new year and you get a tax deduction. So everyone wins.
2: Well, um, outside of it being super busy at work for us, Mm -hmm. very busy today is December 29th. And so it's post Christmas if you celebrate that. And it's pre-New Year's.
1: If you celebrate that. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. Um, Anything that you want to mention around the holidays?
1: No. So I was super happy to have very relaxed holidays this year. Um, I was sad that I was not in Florida or somewhere warm, um, because that's usually where I want to go. But um, I took some time off, so I didn't go into work this week at all, although I did work from home but we all got to do what we got to do. Um, so it was just really relaxing. Like I spent a lot of time reading. I finished and started, I finished one book and started reading two others. Um, I was just doing work around the house, putting away my clothes, laying on the couch, chilling out. Like it was really great. Like going to the gym, doing some self-care um, situation that I really needed. And I just needed to be away from work. Like I was really overwhelmed. There was a lot of stuff that's been going down. Um, so I was just trying to get some space, and I did. And I definitely feel so much better, a little rejuvenated. So that was amazing for me. And yeah, and then for the holidays, I just saw my sister, a couple of friends. Um, my sister got married yesterday. Um,
2: Congratulations!
1: Yeah, she. So we went to like the courthouse to uh, sign the documents. She her like actual wedding is in April.
2: Because you've gained a family member. So.
1: Yeah, I did. So now um, Mark is officially my brother-in-law. Um, which is really cool. And I spent some time with his family, so his dad, shout out. Thanks for buying his dinner last night. (laughs) And just really having a good time with his brother and wife. So just like getting to know each other a little bit more before Mm -hmm. we go to Mexico in April, Tulum, where she's going to get married. So, you know, just a lot of Mm. just hanging out, which was really, really nice. Um, And yeah, how about you? What was your um, Christmas like?
2: It was nice I went home to El Paso so again as I've mentioned I didn't grow up in El Paso but my parents live there so Mm -hmm. anywhere they live is home to me anytime I'm going to visit them that's home so um, went home for the holidays I was there for five days and get to spend some quality time with both my folks and my older brother who was also there Um, Got to see some cousins I hadn't seen in a really long time. Nice. Yeah, it was really nice. And then what I also like about going home is it's always like a really easy place for me to unplug. So I tend to really unplug. I'll check a little bit of social media, but not much. And I just catch up on reading. So I also finished a book Uh and started another one. Um, I finished Roxane Gay's Hunger, which is... Ugh, it is heartbreakingly beautiful. I mean, I can go totally into that. I still haven't read that. Yeah, it's it's so good um, in terms of, like, the ideas that she brings to the table and just such a necessary narrative. Um, but, yeah, it was just really good just to, like, relax and read and catch up on some movies, and just spend quality time with my parents and my brother. It was really nice.
1: Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know that we've talked about this in the past, that uh, holidays sometimes uh, can be a really difficult time for some people. Um, And I just definitely wanted to mention that it was a little difficult for me. Um, I got... um, I mean, obviously, I was away from most of my family, so that was hard. But then I got a text message from my uncle in Florida pertaining to my mom. And it was just so rude. It was something that my mom was going through, which we already know. Like, she has, you know, some challenges. And he was just really, it was just unfortunate the way that he was trying to communicate with myself and my sisters and And my brother, actually, so he sent us a group text a group text, and I was just like, "Man, like this is definitely not what we're trying to read at like nine o'clock at night before Christmas, so
2: I was like on Christmas Eve, yeah,
1: like around, yeah, basically, and he was just bas- just blaming us for certain things that my mom is going through, and it was really hard to take a step back from that and just realize that there's nothing really that I could have done and that you know trying to protect myself and put boundaries out there. So, mm-hmm. I did respond as uh, as res- as respectfully as possible, but it was it was definitely interesting and just like challenging that I wasn't even with family and this still developed and I was still kind of brought into this like kind of drama. Um so for those listeners uh, who have tough times during the holidays, during Christmas, um, Ophelia, yeah. uh, we're here for you. You're definitely. not alone. Nope. Um, yeah. So that was definitely that was definitely challenging and hard, but I was really proud of myself. Of like, first of all, like standing up for myself and for my siblings and my mom but then also taking a step back and realizing that that's not gonna really put a damper on my mood and it's not gonna I'm not gonna let it to really affect me in a horrible way like I would have maybe some years ago so I was I was some proud I was a little proud yeah it was good
2: yeah that's I really um I really love that you say that you know even though it was like a moment that maybe it was unexpected that you definitely didn't let it like overcloud the rest of the week for you because that's super easy to do especially when it's with family right yeah so i I love that you were really like centered and you know like just were able to like really ground yourself
1: it was hard it was hard and and like i said a couple of years ago or even like at, in some other situation i might not have been able to do that but Uh, My partner was super supportive, and then my family, like my sisters, were super supportive also, so that definitely helped.
2: No, I love that, and I think it's just so important, again, to reiterate why it's so important that we really take the time to heal and take care of ourselves, because that's all we have control over Mm -hmm. is our reactions and um, how we uh, behave, right, and how we – react to things and um i think i believe strongly in the ripple effect that when we're doing that work and we're healing by products are often like other people also shift Mm. right um often our family will shift right so i think that's That's really great, a really great example of like how to practice that. It's obviously an never-ending progress, but I'm really proud of you because I know I know it's not
1: easy. Thank you. You're listening to Sana Sana podcast, episode five with Adriana and Adriana.
2: On today's Sana Sana Glossary,
1: our key words are recovery and codependency. Join the conversation and share your definition of these words on social media. Recovery.
2: Recovery is the intentional and active state of healing. According to Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, recovery also includes a constant growth and improvement in one's health and wellness That may involve setbacks. Because setbacks
1: are a natural part of life, resilience becomes key to recovery. Codependency. Mental Health America says codependency is an emotional and behavioral condition that affects a person's ability to have a healthy, mutually satisfying relationship. Codependent behavior is learned by watching and imitating other family members who display this type of behavior.
2: We are super excited to introduce our Corazón a Corazón with Jackie Carabes. So just to give you, the listener, a little bit of context, I recorded this episode before Adriana and I decided to do the podcast together, so I... Um, knew I was really committed to this idea of this podcast and had started pre-recording some episodes. So you've already heard the one that we did with Erica Sanchez. Um, Jackie was one of these like core, like like foundational interviews that really helps me have enough material to launch The podcast and i decided to put it on hold once adriana came on board so that we can like really reimagine and think through what we wanted the podcast to be so that is why it's taken so long for us to release this episode because we've been really producing each episode um that has been uh, featuring each guest since then so um all that said, just to give you an idea of why it took so long from the first time I you know, spoke with Jackie to now, but it has not lost any of its Relevant. relevance or beauty. This is definitely a, a topic that's super, super close to me. As I've mentioned on the podcast before, um, I am currently someone in active recovery and I needed this podcast as a place to have a safe space to talk about what I'm going through and the very specific healing I'm going through in recovery from alcohol, but also recovery as an adult child. And so um, this interview with Jackie um, is really meaningful because I felt really heard by her sharing her story and her experience. And so this is why I think it's so important that we share our stories because you never know who is listening that a bell will go off for them when they hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's such an amazing interview. And for anyone who has had, you know, any family member with any trauma or any addiction or anything um, along those lines, you can completely relate um, and it's just really amazing. Like the conversation is really powerful, and I'm really excited about it.
2: And shout out to you, Tokaya, for all the hard work you put into editing. We edit all of our interviews for clarity and condensity, um, but we try to keep them as uh, authentic to the original context as possible. So Jackie and I had, we were having a ball. I was having a ball in this interview. So it, it's a very long interview that we had to make some heartbreaking decisions to cut um but we're also excited because i think part of what we've cut we're going to bring back in future episodes so stay tuned and without a further ado um here is jackie caravis from angel doing it in her own words
0: i'm jackie caravis um i'm one half of Ansal Doing It, of the Ansal Doing It podcast. I'm also a PhD candidate in the Department of Chicana and Chicano Studies at UCLA starting my sixth year uh, which is crazy. You know, in Ansal Doing It, we really talk about those different borders we've had to cross uh, with ourselves, with our own healing, with being like queer Chicanas, um, queer chicanexes and so that's something that's been a big part of my journey is healing. Ooh, from so many things, right? From family trauma, from um, drug usage, drug drug usage, from acknowledging my own mental health issues and seeking out help for that. Um, using spirituality as a way to to heal, also obviously and these different forms um, in in dialogue and community and discussion with one another. So I think when you reached out um, and you mentioned that you were starting your own podcast around healing and recovery, um, it really spoke to me because I feel like that's something that I've been doing and I'm continuing to do, um, even though I'm at a place where I feel maybe – I mean – Stable might be the best word, but it's still something that's like continuing for me always in just growing, right? And I think in growing, we're always trying to heal. So when you reached out, I was just like, yeah, I want to have that conversation because that's an internal conversation I'm having all the time. You
3: know, and while doing that, you definitely allude to your lifestyle. But there really hasn't been a moment on the show where you've gone there, and I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> so, we'll um, see. We'll see. <laughs> right. Not to totally spoil it, if you ever do. But <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about what that lifestyle looks like for you? What does that mean for for you, Jackie? I,
0: I guess I've never thought about it in terms of labeling it in that way. But um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm in a place currently right now where I guess in the last, year, I've been really acknowledging, um, the depression that I've experienced for probably a lot of my life. And so I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of, I would say I'm, I'm actively dealing with a lot of mental health. I'm definitely sober for the most part. Um, I had a, a much bigger issue with like, um, with doing like mess and smoking weed when I was younger. Which i i I really identify as sober, and those in that respect also don't drink very much um, or at all, really, yeah, I think that's kind of where where I'm at right now, <laughs> in terms of identifying with with my recovery in those senses or in that sense.
3: The reason I ask is because um there are so many different uh ways to remove. Substances from our lives, and some people do it, you know, in moderation, and some people have to mm-hmm. take more of an ab- abstinence-based approach. And so, mm-hmm. I didn't want to make any assumptions since we really hadn't talked about it. So that's why I yeah, wanted yeah, to yeah. make sure to, a- to
0: ask. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, I don't want to say like I'm sober and I just cut it all off one day. That was a, that was a process, <laughs> right? Um, no, yeah,
3: ditto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> and I actually want to ask you about the process, but before we get into that journey, do you want to talk a little bit about like how how you how you even started thinking about removing those habits from your life?
0: Yeah, so um, it might be helpful just to give you context of kind of like where I was when I started abusing. I think if you've listened to Hansel Duine, you know that um you might know a little bit of my story in terms of, like, I grew up with a single mom. Um, my dad left when I was, like, 18 months old. I'm the youngest of three. And um, my dad was actually a heroin addict, cokehead, alcoholic, all of the above. Right. And so growing up, I also saw my, uh, my middle brother going through, you know, kind of following in that path. And so for me, I think as a teenager, as a younger person, I really saw those things like drugs and alcohol specifically, like as things that I, that were bad and not just bad because of what they did to the, these people, but almost like internalized, I, I internalized that as something that I was that I would never do or want to do because I saw what it was doing to my family, essentially. Right? And then in high school, all my friends kind of started smoking and, um, you know, growing up in L.A., in California, it's, like, very normal. So um, all my friends were smoking and, like, I wasn't really into that because I still kind of held that uh, almost anger or resentment towards um, weed and, and drugs in general. And so, I was kind of a you know a little mm-hmm. aware, just worried about doing good in school and and you know not causing any any problems or not causing any ruckus ever um and so it wasn't actually until I was like a c no a junior in high school when i think i i was i was already out at this point, right I already identified as like queer um, I think at that time like bisexual and I was I was in my first relationship all of my friends were already doing drugs right like mostly just weed I think at that point Um I was in my first relationship like around 10th grade with a woman and then after about a year or so we ended up breaking up right and you know like any heartbroken teenager right, I, and obviously dealing with this other trauma that was really heavy from home and domestic violence and all those different things, like, I was really looking to this person, I think, um, as a way to, like, save me from myself or from my reality, and so when that didn't, mm-hmm. that relationship didn't work out, and it kind of ended in a really shitty way where I, like, found out they were cheating on me with my friend and, like, you know it was just like worst case scenario kind of thing and you're already going through a lot of shit as a teenager and and hormones and all of that and so like for it sure. was it was, yeah. it was really difficult you know and it it broke me i think that was i can really pinpoint that as a moment if my heart wasn't already broken from just like life um that was when I there was definitely some soul shattering that happened. And so um to be dramatic, but that's how it felt, you know? And I remember that was a huge turning point for me because because of the fact that I sought out my own validation, my own worth in other people, right? And I particularly had this person on a pedestal and that would also dictate my future relationships. <laughs> Up until recently, but um it it was a turning point for me because at that point I stopped giving a shit about everything um I almost i don't want to say I gave up on myself because I don't think I actually did I still you know I was still moving forward in my life, but I think I stopped giving a fuck about a lot of things, and that's kind of when I started I was kind of like really I used to be really adamant about like being like no I'm not gonna Temper with shit or, or, or try drugs, even though all my friends are doing it. But then after that, um, I was kind of like, fuck it, you know? And at that time, my, a lot of my friends in my circle and like the, in, in the different circles I was in too, um, they were all starting to do meth. Um, so I think I, I want to say I tried meth probably before I even tried weed. And so, Shortly after, you know, my friends were with me, and they were just like, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Like, you've been, like, holding out, and, like, you know, we don't want to peer pressure you. And I was like, no, you're not peer pressuring me. This is my decision. Like, this is what I want. And sure enough, I remember doing my first line, like, in the back of my friend's car, in the back of my mom's apartment, Um. And then I didn't stop for like two years. And then at that point, you know, I, 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 that was like the end of my junior year. So that was all of my senior year doing lines, doing lines at school, like all the time, smoking weed here and there. Um, I got to college and there was a lot of drugs there too. So I had stopped a little bit. Maybe I was like, oh, I'm going to college. Maybe I should calm down but I didn't. I found friends who were down to do what I was doing, and, you know, I found meth again, and then smoking weed, drinking alcohol, and trying other shit, like, trying E and mushrooms and all this shit, you know? And I think for me, my drug of choice was definitely meth, Um, because it gave me strong sense of a false sense of confidence, right, because I was just always so quiet and introverted and to myself and shy and, you know, it was like I was, like, excruciatingly shy. So when I did math, I would felt like I could be this person that I could never be sober, right, like this super confident person, outgoing person, kind of I don't give a fuck person that I always wanted to be but, like, didn't know how to do that. And so that's what that drug allowed me to do and which is why I, I I did it. In addition to that it also like I had a lot of body image issues so and I was also a nerd so in one aspect you know or like you know going through school it it allowed me to study all night long cuz I didn't have to sleep and mm. and also with my body image issues it made sure that I it allowed me to not eat so I would stay super 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 thin it kind of met all of the needs for me in these really fucked up ways. Um, yeah, that I, yeah. That I wanted it to. So it was, it. so I stuck with it for, for a while until, until I didn't.
3: So the other thing that I really love that you're talking about and hitting on is this idea that like, there's so many reasons why we might turn to something in the first place, right? Some external mm-hmm. something in the first place, but, but how like, even when we talk about intersectionality, it it applies even here, right? So it's, it was, not oh, yeah. you know, all these issues that you're talking about, they're all like, all tied together, you know, mm-hmm. you having to, you know, navigate your queerness, your your upbringing, like that's all Mm -hmm. mixed up. It's not just like, Mm -hmm. oh, I had body image issues and and that's what, you know, I was trying to get skinny or whatever, right? It's just like Mm -hmm. all this stuff, which I think is like a really, one of the things that I find frustrating is we rarely really talk about how like complex it is. You know, whether you're, or you think addiction is a disease or, or it, you think of it as something else, like, at the end of the day, it's the complexity that we don't really, like, kind of dive into because it's so taboo still.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's why it makes it easier also even to judge other people for what, for being in that place. Uh, um, mm-hmm. and also allows us to, I mean, I think on both sides of it, it uh, uh, on a, if you're experiencing it, I think it makes it hard unless you have that awareness, right? Um, and then on the on the outside sense, it's it's easy to judge somebody if you don't really know where they're at or where their needs haven't been met, which is mostly probably why, right? I mean, I'm thinking why someone would choose or like why I chose to look for that kind of sense of self in something else something outside of me right yeah so when when did you reach
3: the point where you're like what am i doing
0: <laughs> it was a couple of things like i think part of it was i was getting a little bit more serious about or not a little bit more serious i feel like i was always serious about like my work right um mm-hmm. and and like my grades and just feeling like I was gonna die if and if I didn't get like good grades, um, and had, have had anxiety for a long time. But um, that was one thing. The other thing was like I think as I I was experimenting more and more. Well, honestly, it started with a bad mushroom trip. <laughs> if I can oh. really pinpoint it is that I I don't know how I didn't overdose but I'm like and and like you know end up in the hospital but mm-hmm. I definitely had a big quantity of mushrooms inside of me cuz I was a dumbass when I was making my mushroom concoction <laughs> anyway um it was supposed to be a really fun and enlightening experience but it, it was oh, everything man. everything but <laughs> I think from nowhere.
3: What's so great about that is, like, sometimes we get caught up in like, "Oh, it's natural," but like, anything (laughs) ingested
0: is so right.
3: I'm so glad you're talking about this.
0: It doesn't matter if it's natural, but when you're abusing it, right? Which of course, yeah, (laughs) which is what I was doing. That's the point, right? (laughs) Completely abusing all the things I was doing because I was indulging, you know. Uh-huh. I wasn't I wasn't really looking at my limits and I was I was ignoring my body and and what it needed and so you know I had this really horrible mushroom trip where I was hallucinating weird shit I <laughs> I I it was it was a bad trip like it was an interesting trip but it was really bad and so then like I was hallucinating weird shit uh, I was I thought I was hearing people's voices like I thought it was never gonna go away so I think for like oh, four hours course. my friends were yeah. like taking care of me and were I was probably annoying the shit out of them because I would like act like I was taking a nap and then I would start crying and like I, it was you know you I think you revert like to a child which can be like really good mm-hmm. or really bad so it was really telling them, mm-hmm. like me as a baby, and like not having any of me. <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, so it, it that was the the beginning of that, right? The beginning of the end of that, because like it was just this really bad trip where I felt really unsafe. I think from that point forward, doing any kind of drug didn't give me the same kind of joy that it once did, right? So. Mhm. I and I still kept like drinking and smoking and doing all of it, you know. Um mm-hmm. but then the trips got the trips got worse and worse and scarier and scarier and like um I think it just got to the point where I literally felt cuz I you know that mental health runs in my family and I have family like you know, um, like my mom's siblings who have, or sibling who has like schizophrenia and like, um, my grandma used to hallucinate shit and like just, you know, major mental health stuff going on. And I think when I was doing that, um, after that bad trip, I, I would like get or do whatever, and then feel like I was gonna end up like being somebody who was going to like see people or or have hallucinations and shit like that so i think like that's kind of what my trips would turn into more of like i got stuck in that stage of paranoia yeah, and so it really it really wasn't fun for me anymore, but it was all around me, you know? Like, everybody around me was smoking, drinking, doing everything. So I think it was um, all my roommates at that time. So, yeah, this was, like, my junior year, and it was really hard because I would, like, try to stop smoking weed, and then I would stop, and then I would, like, smoke the next day or a few days later. So I think it took me... With weed, it took me probably like a year to quit it with with at that point with um because I was having such bad trips um and everything and and not as many people at Santa Cruz were like doing that. it was a little easier and and me and my friend kind of like we promised each other we were just gonna stop, you know we were just like, we don't need to do this anymore, like we're better than this like. We there's something bigger out there for us, and so we kind of made, like, a pact that we would both stop. hmm So it's been 10 years since I've... Wow. Touched or been around that shit. Weed took, a, like, a, a year, but then alcohol, I didn't stop mm-hmm. drinking, in, like, until about two years ago. I mean, I calmed it down over mm-hmm. time, but I don't... I abused alcohol in a different way. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. a better way, but... But I, I I don't know um I guess it's more acceptable than what I was doing you know in a sense so I think it was with those things that are more acceptable and more quote unquote normal that it took me a little longer but um I think for right. me quitting quitting mess was really the it was like a bigger thing right for me in my life
3: first of all congratulations on ten years that's amazing mm-hmm. so I'm I'm listening to your story and I'm just like wow because my story is a little different in that my drug of choice is alcohol, but I've been mm. relating to a lot of what you're talking about, right? Just with, mm-hmm. uh, specifically around like the stuff around, uh, growing up. I think, I think a lot of families, especially ones that have immigrated, sometimes the, uh, the children are like caught in some of the stuff that is traumatic from the immigration story mm-hmm. or, you know, like the communities. We, we have a lot of trauma, um, that right. we're hearing. But beyond that, so I was just thinking, so I've only been sober for a year, a little over a year in my sobriety days.
0: Congratulations.
3: July, thank you. It's uh, July 23rd, so just a little Mm -hmm. over a year. Mm -hmm. And I remember, so I had my quote unquote come to Jesus moment
0: um,
3: (laughs) after after five years of like moderating, right? Like I had been moderating Mm -hmm. and
0: like... Mm -hmm.
3: No, I had th- I had never thought I would quit altogether. I just didn't mm. think that was necessary <laughs> until right. like something to- until something totally unrelated finally hit me in the face, and I couldn't really deny that it was connected to my drinking anymore. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I was working with a therapist who was just so like straight shooter, like no bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like she risked really just telling me the truth. Like some therapists, mm. that's definitely not their style. She just didn't have that kind of patience with me. She was like, yeah, look.
0: no, you, look, I'm going to tell you how it really is. That's what I need to. Yeah. <laughs> and
3: I'm so grateful because I, I respond to mm-hmm. tough love first and foremost. Yep. So she, she was really, she was the first therapist that's ever really like reached me in my soul.
0: But mm-hmm.
3: when I, when I decided, okay, you're right. I'm, I'm going to quit. Um, I just thought I'd quit and that was it because That's what I had seen people in my life, like, the only other person that I knew, like, that had stopped, like, drinking at that kind of level, but they still drank every once in a while, was my dad. But he Mm -hmm. just quit one day. He didn't, like, there was no process or anything. It was just one day he just stopped. Right, and so that's what I thought I would do, but she <laughs> just kind of she kind of laughed at me and was like, "No, that's not how we we're you're gonna go through recovery." And I was like, "Oh, mm. okay, well, okay." Well, I felt like I don't know what any of that. Is. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I we don't like, do grateful that for that, right? Yeah. It's just like not really something that that's totally it was totally new to me, and but now it makes sense, like why she made me do it because it's it's about addressing all this other stuff that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's not even about like having the support to because I think it's great you had your support with your friend where you guys made that pact, right? So this this for me my recovery hasn't been so much about like building the support to not want to drink again. It's more about okay now let's address all this other stuff that right. you've been avoiding uh-huh. that you've been <laughs> that you've been running away from. Yep, right. Yep, that that yep. That's, that's what mm-hmm. you've been using your drug of choice for. Mm-hmm. Um. To avoid, to avoid yourself. Yep. Yep. To run away from yourself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you were kind of at the height of your usage, was anyone in your life like talking to you about it? Uh Uh-uh. Like were any, no one, no (laughs) one like really knew or they just didn't talk to you about it?
0: Nope. Uh, my family didn't know. I mean, which is weird, because, like, I, like, my brother was familiar with, like, that kind of shit, and he, I know he had, like, a girlfriend who was, like, using and stuff, at, I mean, at that point, and, um, and this was, like, when I was in high school, right, so they didn't notice, but I completely changed. I became this person, like I mentioned, like, I was somebody who used to be quiet, like, hella shy and all those things, and then. The moment I started using, I started talking back to my mom. I, started, I became an asshole, especially with, with my mom and my brother who I was living with at that time, right? Not with my friends, but with my mom and brother. So I became, yeah, I have no better word than to say I was an asshole. So my mom and my brother was also an <laughs> asshole at that time, so I was just meeting him where he was. Um <laughs> And I don't know how they didn't, like, know or or call me out on it because, like, I was, I had, like, bags under my eyes. I would never sleep. I was skinny mm. as fuck. Like, I look at pictures now and I'm like, damn, I look fucking out of it. You know? Like, it's so obvious.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. But,
0: you know, I, I, I mean, my mom never used drugs. So, I mean, she only saw my dad when he was, like, fucked up, but. I think I don't think she like really knew because I was still doing well. I wasn't fucking up. I still was applying for college. I got into college. You yeah, know? I, I You were I super functional, it, yeah. Mhm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. I was super functional and I always have been through all of it. So so no, nobody knew, nobody said anything to me. Even my friends that I was with didn't like fucking around with, like or doing that shit with, like didn't I mean, they didn't say anything to me because they were doing it too. So,
3: <laughs> so I never <laughs> right. had
0: to deal, I never had to really deal with kind of that part of it. And I would say that I was pretty fortunate in the sense that, like, I guess I'm glad I didn't have to go through that in in the sense of like putting my mom through that, particularly. And, I don't know how me and my friend were just like, Okay, we're gonna stop and then I mean, it took a while to get to that point but once we did it just it happened, you know? Mhm. So yeah. No but I never had to like I think my mom yeah was more like you should stop drinking at some point but that was like later when I was just at the fool. Um <laughs> even though sometimes I would do it at home it wasn't like you know, I wasn't trying to get caught either. Yeah, no, I
3: mean, oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so glad we're talking about this within the context of the podcast because even in my recovery spaces, so like I go to AA for example, there mm-hmm. aren't the the meetings I go to there aren't a lot of like Latinxes. Um, mm-hmm. Every once in a while, my my parents live in El Paso because they're from Juarez.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
3: So when I go visit them, I go to AA meetings in El Paso, and it's awesome because everybody there is Latino or Latinx, you know? Uh, But I'm not from that community, so, like, I haven't really been able to form, like, a bond with anyone. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been able to have these conversations, and now I'm like, there are more questions. Like, is there a link between Mexicans and, like, how hardworking and, like, Just like our, almost like our sense of drive in that we're so functional in our abuse or in our addiction of some, right? Because I've had very similar, like my parents had no idea that I had a problem Mm. with alcohol until I told them. I actually came Mm. clean to them. And Mm. only because I'm trying to live a like more honest life. I had, all growing up, I was the master of like being La Nina Buena, right? Right. Like, my whole life, that was, like, I was the good one because my older brother and sister were really good at being the rebellious ones, and I I didn't <laughs> want to hurt my parents.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
3: I, instead of being, now I understand, they were just being honest, and they were just being teenagers. Where I like right. care to be myself, that, like, I hid that and prepared mm-hmm. me for when I started abusing alcohol. But, like, I was able to really live this whole life. And I was so good at double life, I fooled myself, even.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah,
3: <laughs> I wouldn't have called myself an alcoholic. I don't mm-hmm. even know now, like, I have all these, like, concepts of what alcoholism is. And so that's why it's so hard to, like, have those conversations in our community because I think – it, it, if we started to define it, people would realize, like, oh shit, this whole society is alcohol,
0: yes, <laughs> or yeah. you know, yeah.
3: addicted or whatever, and that that's what makes it uncomfortable. So it's a lot mm-hmm. easier to focus on the people that are sober or aren't doing it. Like, oh, there's something wrong with them to handle that poison,
0: <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. Um yes. So it just is like really affirming to hear almost like. Even though we have different drugs of choice, there's so much similarity. I could definitely hear my story uh, and your story.
0: What you're saying is really important because I think that's the thing that we're – I mean, I don't know if it's because we're Mexican. I I know, like – I mean, because this happens across communities, especially communities of color, right, like who experience all of this trauma. And then – And then they don't have the language, right? Like you were saying, like, we don't have the language to know or to identify what's actually happening or what this really is, right? Because we're just trying to, like, heal or cope with, I think more times than not, we're coping instead of healing with this ancestral trauma that we carry, you know, like, from colonization and from like growing up and like all of these different things. I've been like, mm-hmm. a lot of the mm-hmm. times we're coping and then we don't know that what we're doing is even damaging to us. Right. Cause I remember a few years ago, even right. Like, like I knew my dad was an alcoholic. I knew my brother was an alcoholic. I knew I had struggled with this. And this was a few years ago, like, uh that I started reading like AA literature um I think it was around the time when I stopped actually drinking right like I was like I don't know if I'm an alcoholic but I've you know I was going I was getting out of a codependent relationship which then I read this book don't know what it's called right now but it was about codependency and then understanding that codependency like stems from or the root of it is taking care of somebody who has addiction right or or something like that and it mm-hmm. blew my mind and so I started looking into that and then I started yeah because I got out of this codependent relationship and then where at the, I think towards the end of it drinking had become a problem and I started reading all this literature and I was like oh my gosh I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is what being I mean, an alcoholic <laughs> is? Like, yeah. like, you know, I, yeah. I saw it in myself. I saw it in, obviously, in my brother. I saw it in people that I didn't think would be categorized in that way. But then it made sense, right? And I think, like I said before, like, drinking and weed, especially those two, and even smoking cigarettes, because I also quit smoking cigarettes at, at some point, All of those Mm -hmm. are so normalized as being things that, like, you have fun with and you enjoy. But then where's that borderline between are you using it recreationally or are you using it to cope with your daily reality, right? And so it's it, it really does have to do with this. I mean, even within our communities, like communities of color or even our, like, the Mexican community, like, Therapy and mental health is like such a taboo thing, right? Like we are all mm-hmm. about hustling and and you know you like I think it's so normal even too like alcoholism in our families that we work hard, we hustle hard, and then we drink just as hard on the weekends and weeknight, weeknights or something, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and not really acknowledging and, like what it is or or calling it what it is, Masian.
3: I think we get really like tied to this notion that you have to have like really hit fucking bottom in order for you to stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And um I really want to push back on that because you don't have to be clinically depressed to suffer from depression. Right. Or to have like episodes of depression. So right. like why are you going right. to w- wait till like if you can if you can spot or you can you can like no, like, hey, just, if you remove this, things are gonna mm-hmm. get better. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of people wanna wait till it gets, to like, the physiologically, like, physiologically addicted part. Mm-hmm. So I just kinda mm-hmm. wanna push back on that notion, because I think people feel safe in that, like, oh, for me it was never that bad, right? Like, there's like this game of comparison, <laughs> and, like, when you talk about, like, when you decided to, remove it, uh, your your substances from your life.
1: This is Sana Sana Podcast, a feminist podcast that promotes
2: healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana.
1: We're talking with Jackie Carabes, co-host of the podcast, Anzal Doing It. In this interview, we've been exploring how addiction is often closely tied with trauma. Learned behaviors and family dynamics play a strong role. Adult children is a concept that is used to describe any grown adult who was exposed to addiction or dysfunction as a child.
3: There's this little book called Adult Children of Alcoholics and it has like a list of traits that may apply to someone who grew <laughs> up with an alcoholic parent. Mm-hmm. But it also applies it also applies to people who grew up in dysfunctional homes. It's the same.
0: Mm-hmm. If they're,
3: they're, the same traits. But I was just, like, so embarrassed that this book was reading me, right? I was like, oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Like, this is me, and this is me, and this is me, and oh, my gosh, this is almost me, and this was definitely me. Like, mm-hmm. I was really embarrassed that it was so painfully clear and obvious.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But it's, you know, that embarrassment is just irrational. Um, right, <laughs> it, like right, really. Right. It was really necessary for my growth in self-awareness. This was even before I admitted I had a problem. It was like the first step of just like starting to kind of link things together and connect the dots and to have that language that you're talking
0: about. I think that I looked up the book that I was talking about that made me when I, the one I read after my codependent relationship <laughs> that that mm-hmm. made that connection right that like you probably grew up with an like alcoholic parent um but it's called codependent no more how to stop controlling others and start caring for yourself
3: Mm, and so i think i had mm -hmm. that
0: same feeling that you're talking about everything you just and it also gave a list of like you're probably codependent because you grew up with a parent that was an alcoholic or this and that and all these other things that mostly have to do with how you grew up and i remember reading that and feeling that same kind of like shame that you talk about or like embarrassment but like (laughs) definitely shame Right. That I, yeah. I I thought I had worked through all this shit and that obviously I hadn't because then I kept for me, just like when I was 16, 17 and started doing meth and was like heartbroken. Like I was still looking at relationships at this place of like as it like I was still taking that those codependent tendencies or those 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 traits that I learned from growing up in a household where alcoholism and drug abuse was real and then also my mom um is chronically depressed too right so I also grew up with that and so then taking this mm-hmm. and like I thought I had been doing all this work and then getting out of this relationship three years ago and then and then realizing that like there was still a lot more work to do it was kind of like a clap in the face but also like okay <laughs> like I'm just I'm learning what I need to learn and I just need to move forward right
3: no, and I'm I'm just really, like, happy that we're talking about this because I hope it sparks conversations for other folks. It's an ongoing process. It's, this work is never done.
0: I wanted to add to your prior comment um, where you were saying about, like, how sometimes we think it has to get really bad before we do anything, but I, I agree. It, it, it doesn't, but I think that And I'm learning this now, and this is why now in the last year I'm acknowledging that I've had depression, right? Because I think we often, especially as I want to say, it's a very well, I don't know. Um, I think it is a very gender thing, right? Where when we're socialized as women, especially, we're not supposed to like. Yes, we're it's okay for us to be emotional, but we're we still have to keep being this good type of girl, good woman, good daughter, all these things and care for other people. And I think Mm -hmm. in a sense it, it it requires us, like you said, to be like high functioning, right? And it's oftentimes to our detriment in the sense of like, we think because we're so high functioning that this maybe we only feel depression a little bit, but I think it becomes easier or it allows us, or it, we justify why we're not seeking out help or we can ignore it. I think for a long time I was ignoring what I was going through because I labeled depression as this package that only my mom experienced and almost hated her and resented her for having to grow up experiencing that and yeah. then not acknowledging it in my own self, right? And Because I've probably been feeling it for a lot longer but, and it didn't even get to this really bad point. It was just, like, my, this, that last relationship I was in that I, I spoke about being really codependent, um, that partner would tell me, are you depressed? Like, I think you're depressed. Like, she had dated somebody who was depressed, so she kind of knew what that looked like. She'd done research on it, whatever. Um, and, and I would always, like, almost come at her and get really defensive and be like, fuck no, no. I don't. I don't want to turn into my mom, that kind of thing. And then it wasn't mm-hmm. until like actually my current relationship where so many things. I mean, I have have done so much self work, um, and this relationship is different than any that I've experienced, and is actually like, like really healthy, right? And and this the person I'm currently with kind of, you know, nudged me a little bit too, and was like you know, I think you might be depressed. And I'd be like, no, I just hate grad school. Like, you know, and and the more (laughs) they're not exclusive. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And oftentimes it's grad school that exacerbates it. Right. And so it was really in this kind of loving space that I was able to really hear her and then seek out resources. And once I started actually going to to a therapist which I've been going to now maybe for the last like five months I'm just like wow I can't believe I was denying I was in denial for so long and it was stunting my growth even though I was growing right but I was like I was in denial of, of what I was experiencing and again that's because I didn't have the language of what of the fact that of what depression is of what anxiety mm-hmm. is like of, uh, of all of those things, right? And so when I finally started seeing, like, a fucking professional, like a good professional, it blew my mind. And it's only been, like, five months, and I feel like a different person already because, you know, I'm, I'm going, like, on a weekly basis. But I think it's just, like, I'm learning so much in terms of, like, how I've internalized things and how I, you know, my – my whole system of beliefs and thoughts and how those have all been almost tainted by the the trauma, right? And like undoing that and unlearning. So, um yeah, I definitely I, I, I agree it doesn't have to be bad, but I think sometimes we inter I think sometimes we are in denial that it's that bad. I know we're getting to the end. I didn't mention something that I think is hell of important that has been Something that's been crucial to this whole process since mm-hmm. since ten years ago. I don't know if 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 there's time for me to talk about it, um, if that's okay with yeah. you. But yeah. I I, yeah, I definitely wanted to something that I didn't say explicitly in in any of the conversation we've we've had this far. But I think I've kind of alluded to it in the podcast. But um, for me, what has allowed me to because you mentioned earlier that like. You know you're you're almost like impressed by by the growth that I've that I've done and and all of that and and I've heard that a lot like I've heard, especially from my older brother who's like ten years older than me, um, and I think one or not I think I know a lot of where that comes from and even being able to be resilient in this process of of of, of, of getting clean but. Of being grounded and like always trying to grow has really 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 been um the root of of holding me all together has really been my spirituality, which um i I've mentioned it on the podcast um I've been practicing Buddhism for like nine and a half years so almost almost ten years now um mm-hmm. and I actually um right before i I decided to stop doing meth, was when this friend who this friend who I made the pact with, we both um, were introduced or she was introduced first and then introduced me to um, to Buddhism, right? And it's um I've mentioned it on the podcast. It's called um, soka zakai international we We practice nature buddhism and and basically, it's a little different. We don't meditate. we chant. Um, and chanting is is kind of something you do. It's like a prayer, right? It's like morning prayer and evening prayer, but essentially what's behind it is that or you know, we chant Namyoho Renge kyo and it means what that means is basically the name of the universal law of cause and effect. And so every time you chant essentially you're you're locking into the wisdom and the rhythm of the universe. And so uh, when we chant or when we pray, right, essentially we're we're getting on the same vibration as the universe, and we're also simultaneously um, tapping into our greatest good and our greatest wisdom, right? And so I think, or I know, for me, uh, a lot of my, my my growth and wisdom and my reflection and, like, my awareness and clarity has really come from having that consistency, right? And, and it's different for everybody, but I just wanted really to acknowledge that for me, that has been something that has been my, allowed me to be, to have a backbone and to really thrive through all of this, you know, and I think that has given me the strength and the wisdom and the courage to face myself because this practice really is, it's not about chanting and hoping that the universe saves you, but it's really to Tapping into your own greatness and your own power. And part of that is, is to face your life, which is not a concept that I ever had prior to 10 years ago, you know? And so I think for me that, that that has been something that has taken me through all of this, these things and that has allowed me to, to face all of these things, call these things what they are and then be on the right path to to become my best self, so I really wanted to like acknowledge that and acknowledge the 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 role that really spirituality has played in this, and like has a, which has allowed me to like stay grounded and to stay really like on this path of 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 becoming happy and becoming my my best self.
1: That was so great. That was really, really amazing. It's so funny to hear Jackie in like a different context than when I listened to her on Us Undoing It. And it's funny because I feel like I know her when I was listening to it. So I'm nerding out a little bit because I love their podcast. But there was just so much good content in that interview. And like I said, when we began, like I could just relate to what you guys were talking about over and over again. And one of the things that I loved that, was mentioned was that more often than not some communities or some people are coping and not healing um, because you know we don't have the luxury to heal right it takes time it takes resources it takes you know um, you wanting to heal and I think that it just reminded me and kind of affirmed of of the mission of the podcast of what we're doing because in having this conversation I feel like it is so healing for me as we um, just create this podcast so I hope that it was um, special for those listeners um, and yeah thank you so much Jackie and you Tokaya for um, doing this amazing interview
2: thank you um, I think the only thing I will add is that uh, we've talked about this offline right and I think it's important that I, I talk about it in that When I share my story, um, I think it's really important for me to do that because it's scary and it's about breaking through this whole idea of, um, like really toxic and dysfunctional perfectionism that I've clung onto for a very long time, which enabled me to, um, not, to, to be in denial it enabled me to be in denial about um my problem with alcohol but also like this deeper problem that I wasn't addressing um for the majority of my life right so um I think I have to really push myself to be honest and authentic in as many spaces as possible and that work is incredibly hard and what makes it incredibly difficult and tricky is um, what that looks like in relation to other people, right? So I have a really hard time talking about my experience because I really wanna keep it within my story and my experience. But sometimes that includes people we love and care deeply about. And so I'm still struggling with how do I talk about my experience without um, implicating other people or like um, uh, telling their story, you know? And I have friends that we've had similar conversations around like what's going on with like their family or different family members or like a, a partner or or um, someone just, you know, a close person in their life and how that affects them, right? So I struggle with that. I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but I want to start that conversation here mm-hmm. around, like, how do I talk about being an adult child, right? Um, what does that mean? And, and I do commit to having a show where we go deeper into that, but I just wanted to, like, put that out there because I'm struggling with it, and um, I just want to own that. I don't know what that looks like yet, but I, I am incredibly grateful for everything my family has given me, all of the, the beauty, the joy, the resilience. I need to honor that um, because my at the end of the day, my family has given me so much um, and has gotten me to the place where now I can heal and end a lot of, like, hurt that has been passed down, so that's where I'm at. I just wanted to to say that um, because it was something I struggled with when I was editing the show too.
1: No, for sure. I definitely hear that. And even at the beginning of the show when I was trying to kind of let you know what happened with like my, my family, like it's hard because I don't know how much to tell or how much not to tell yet. Um, so it's definitely like where's that fine line because I don't and I know that we don't mean to like blame anyone or place blame we're just telling our experiences and our stories and yes they include other people but you're completely right just because you're a family member doesn't mean that you can't hurt me and that doesn't mean that if you do hurt me I don't cherish you or love you or I'm thankful for what you've given me so Definitely like all we're trying to do and all I'm trying to do because I'm going to speak for myself is just basically talk it out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really one of my um, main goals in this podcast is to just talk it out and kind of process what we're going through. So just so just so you guys know, that's that's where we're coming from.
2: Yeah, and that's why I just want to give another shout out to Jackie um, and Angelica too. I've I've never had a chance to talk to Angelica, um, but I'm a big fan of Angel doing it. And what I think is so brilliant about both of those um, people is that they are so good about being open about their experiences. So um, they're both younger than me, but I really look at them as like yeah, me. <laughs> they're so young. <laughs> I think no, they, I think they're ooh, I think Jackie's older than you okay good yeah Angelica might be younger <laughs> but um neither here or there they're elders in a lot of ways um Absolutely. in the work that they've done mm-hmm. which is abundantly clear in the interviews um and in the in the podcasts in the podcasts that Enzel Dewey has released as well so just another shout out thank you so much for taking time Jackie huge huge fan and I hope that we get to meet again this is episode five of Sana Sana podcast. I'm Adriana.
1: And I'm Adriana.
2: Colita de Rana is medicine. Here are the goodies in this week's Botica. I'm
1: still doing it. Jackie and Angelica break it down each week in this Latinx podcast. Find them on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Link in the show notes. Two valuable books that we mentioned this episode. Codependent No More How to Stop Controlling Others and Start Caring for Yourself by Melody Beatty and Adult Children of Alcoholics by Janet Wojcic All right, so um, the last segment in today's podcast is Sana Mañana So how are we taking care of each other of ourselves um, for tomorrow? What does that look like for you?
2: I think a big part of my self-care is continuing this retreat. Um, This has been actually a really fun day for me. I have had the most beautiful birthday so far. I started it off with a breakfast with bodacious babes in my life. I have the most amazing, I truly mean this, amazing, amazing circle of friends. I am one lucky bitch. (laughs) i'm really really lucky so yes. i had a, a good breakfast start and then now i'm here in the full circle collectives studio space with you tokaya and we're hanging out for probably another three more hours so that's actually self-care for me um i do plan to have dinner tonight with a friend and just like do a lot of journaling into the new year mm. so my birthday is always a new year for me and it's appropriate because it's only a couple days away from the calendar New Year, right? Love so it. the whole, like, reflection around where I'm at in this time of my life, in my 38th revolution around the sun, right, beginning that journey, um, it just always brings up so many feels around this time of the year, not just because it's my birthday, but the New Year is very special to me. And I'm ending my first full calendar year as a sober person. Yay. So, this is my second sober birthday. Um, and that's it's just, laughing. yeah, it yeah. is just such a gift. It is. It is such a gift. Sobriety has been one of the most amazing and continues to be one of the most amazing, difficult, wonderful, beautiful times of my life. So, yeah, that's how I'm taking care of myself.
1: I love it.
2: Thank you.
1: Um, so one of the things that I did, um, which was really, really cool, um, was that I was invited to a vision boarding session, um, by a friend, um, and it was kind of, uh, Reserved for women of color. It was a small group. I was lucky enough to be invited, and it was just amazing. Like, it was so great to be in a space like that uh, and share kind of my intentions and goals and my vision board with some awesome ladies. And um, so, my vision board um, had a lot of, you know, feminist agenda stuff, had a lot about being healthy, self care. Um, It literally had the word me and hearts all over it. Um, So it was pretty hilarious. It's great. And it also had something uh, like a quote that said that I got from a magazine or something that said, imperfection is where it's at. Um, And that's like right there. So there's just a lot of like really inspiring kind of um, goal setting stuff that I did that day. And now I have it in my little closet so I can look at it every day for the next year. Because I am really focused on just continuing taking care of myself and really focus on me and what is it that I need to continue growing and to become a better person and to become you know the better version of me right now that I can. Um, So I'll see if I take a picture and I can like link it somewhere. Um, I completely yes, we have a new Instagram. That's also how I take care of myself, I guess by (laughs) Instagramming. Yes. So if you all are invited or it would be a great thing for you to do with your friends um, to do like a little vision boarding session, I completely... Visualization.
2: Visualization is so
1: powerful. Yeah, it was. And it was the first time I did it. Um, and there was cheese and wine and it was just amazing. So definitely suggest it, do it. And it's it, it was really inspiring. So I'm glad I did it. Um, thank you, Ariana, thank you for inviting me. That's so I great.
2: It. I love that it's your first. I... Um, I'm. I usually do a vision board party with uh, like a the same group of friends, and we've been doing it now. This year will this in 2018 it'll be year six.
1: Wow, it's
2: cool cool to see like how a lot of like their manifestation has come to be.
1: Yeah, and even my own like amazing. And I think it's really cool having the same people come every year because then you can really see either like progress or challenges and kind of talk about it. I love that.
2: I mean, we always have new people join every year, too, but, like, the same core has been going to it every year, so it's it's really
1: great. I loved it. Um, So, yeah, vision boarding is where it's at. Yeah,
2: thanks for sharing that. Well, I guess that wraps up episode five. We've made it.
1: We have. Listeners and Sana Sana community, please let us know how you're taking care of yourself. Um, Comments, questions, concerns, feedback, you know where to find us. Sana mañana. Sana mañana. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sana Sana Podcast, written
2: and co-hosted by Adriana and Adriana.
1: Our theme song is by Alina
2: Celeste. Our cover art features a photograph by Tanto Jensen. Join the conversation. Follow Sana Sana on Twitter at at Sana Sana
1: Podcast. Or send us love letters to sanasana podcast at gmail.com.
2: Sana Sana is a Despierta production and is recorded at Full Circle Collective in the Bridgeport Art Center in Chicago, Illinois. To learn more about
1: Full Circle, visit fullcirclecollective.space.